This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we wrap up the book of Revelation and the last verse of our journey through the New Testament and through the entire scriptures, really. Yeah. We hear the moving description of a new heaven and a new earth and an old world that has been made new. Absolutely. Revelation begins to wind to a close. We see heaven and earth returning to God's original intent. Indeed, John's message of encouragement is finding its ultimate fulfillment in the affirming close of John's vision. John speaks in Revelation 21 of a moving reunion of heaven and earth, a reunion the whole earth has been waiting for. You might remember all the way back in Romans 8, creation groaning right? since uh, soil and spirit has been ripped apart. Uh, since all the way back at the beginning of the narrative, Genesis chapter 3, soil and spirit got torn apart, and we have been waiting for soil and spirit to be reunited appropriately. So that's where this vision picks up. Go ahead, Brent. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. One cannot read this climatic resolution to John's visions and not think of the last half of Isaiah 65. But in this, we also see John's bringing together all sorts of other mini narratives. Not the least of these being the material uh, that we find all the way back in the Exodus. There is this marital this image of marriage that we start to see with this great wedding feast. The vision speaks of God wiping away tears, something that was yearned for by Jeremiah. See chapters 25 or 35 if you want a reference to look for there. Everything the prophets spoke of and yearned for is finally being experienced here. It's a tragedy that we focus on and argue about so many of the apocalyptic details that we miss the driving image of worship and hope that lies at the end of John's vision. Give us some more, Brent. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Boy, talk about, like, really hammering home the idea that Jesus was being the new Israel. Twelve tribes and then twelve apostles. Absolutely. (laughs) 
Absolutely. So still more prophets find their fulfillment in this vision of John. Ezekiel's vision of the new temple, which was an apocalyptic vision all the way back in his prophecy, as well as many other statements made by Zechariah, drive the images that John describes here. One could, uh, couldn't think of drinking freely of the water of life without remembering Isaiah's words in chapter 55. And as far as God dealing with the immoral, it's more than a simple pronouncement of judgment on unbelievers. The preceding statement is a reference to 2 Samuel 7, but not just any reference. God was speaking to David about building his, what do you suppose, Brent? What was David wanting to build? His temple. A temple. The very thing that John is discussing in this very passage, this apocalyptic temple imagery. That's where that verse comes out of, and it's not some reference of eternal torment or heaven, hell, damnation, that kind of thing. It's a reference to Old Testament text being pulled into what John is trying to say about the end of all things. But what about that little Revelation 21.8 song that I used to sing to my high school friends? (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's a good question. Keep reading before we get ourselves into trouble, Brent. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth barrel, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. Following the custom of the apocalyptic prophets who had gone before him, John has the temple measured. But this time, John doesn't miss the opportunity to make a major statement about this kingdom as seen in Jesus. This time, the temple and the city is even bigger than it was in Ezekiel. And if you remember, Ezekiel had a very large temple. There is enough, uh, there is enough of everything to go around for everybody who needs to be there. The numbers scream out one united people of God, 12,000 stadia, square the city is. Not only is this length an obvious multiple of 12, the number for God's people, as in 12 tribes, but it's also just under 1,400 miles long. Let's consider that, Brent, 1,400 miles. It's big. It's big. It's big. John's point is that Ezekiel didn't think big enough. So so originally the temple was a building that sat in which city? In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. Not a trick question. Ezekiel, when he did his apocalyptic vision, said the temple was big enough to encompass the whole city. John picks up on that exaggeration and says, oh, no, no, no. In this apocalyptic vision, we're going even larger than that. We're going to take up the entire crossroads of the earth with this God's temple. God's new city is going to cover the entire civilized world as they knew it. The walls are over 200 feet thick. But again, what's striking is that John uses multiples of 12 to get his message across. This is about people. There is enough heaven to go around for everyone. Brent, give us some more. I do have one question. The 12 stones. Yes. Are those the, weren't there stones on like the priest's yes. garment? Yes. Are those the same stones? They should be. There might be a Greek Hebrew uh, discrepancy, but yes, those should be the same 12 stones. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yep. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. 
The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Yes, everything is as it ought to be. John finishes with references to the closings of other apocalyptic visions. Nation, Have I made that point enough yet, Brent? John getting his uh, material from other apocalyptic prophets? I hope so. <laughs> well, yeah. The last two episodes alone, if I... I mean, just an astounding amount of text that uh, yes. hopefully the listeners have been uh, digging into. Absolutely. Images of nations streaming to the city of God and the gates never being shut bring us back to the prophecies of Zechariah and Isaiah. John's message continues to be one of hope. God will get the last word. Things will end up as they've been spoken of before. To these original readers who are scared for their lives, even dying by Domitian's sword, John is reminding them, of what the ancients said long before. John is calling them to keep running the race and not give up on the glorious plan of God's redemption of all creation. And with that, we're going to end our episode with the final closing words of the New Testament. Go ahead and give give us some more, Brent. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. John continues to draw from the imagery of Ezekiel, in this case, chapter 47, using the image of an angel showing the prophets the apocalyptic conclusion to the vision. The illusions continue, as what John sees is very similar to what Ezekiel saw. Ezekiel also saw a river and trees that bore fruit for the healing of the nations. Allusions to the Psalms and to Jeremiah abound as well. In this uh, little passage of scripture here, it seems as though everything God's people longed for is still, according to John, something to long for, and it's also still in process for them. It's coming, John says. I think it's also worth noting here that John is deliberately bringing us back full circle to the beginning of the story of God. There are plenty of direct and indirect allusions to the Garden of Eden and the Tree of Life. Some have suggested John is mirroring the creation imagery in his vision. We would make, uh, I think we pointed that out kind of last episode, I believe. This would make sense, as we've seen in the rest of John's literature, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and now Revelation, that John loves to work around uh, with the creation story motif. Could it be that John is bringing us back to where it all began? Remember, in the beginning, Genesis said God separated light from darkness. But the source of that light, the sun, wasn't created until day four. Could John be alluding to these beginnings by suggesting that there is light, but no sun? It seems likely to me. Initially, when I was reading that it was uh, it was always daytime and never night, I was like, okay, what kind of orbit would this city have to be around the Earth <laughs> to make sure that the sun? And then I was like, oh yeah, wait, don't don't need the sun actually. Yes. <laughs> that's that's the whole point. Correct. 
A little All bit right. of an astronomy geek. Uh, well, there you go. It serves you well here in this instance. Yeah, well, sort of. <laughs> or not. It, it served me in getting <laughs> off track, that's for sure. All right, give us some more, Brent. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Did I not? That was in the... We've read that before, right? We have read that very similar thing before. Similar. John forgot something he experienced just prior. He's so worked up. Yes, yes. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll, because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right, and let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. John, in this vision, is overwhelmed by the things he sees. He falls to worship, but the angel calls him to make sure his worship remains pure. Is this a call for the readers of his vision as well? Possibly. The language used by the angel here mirrors that of other visions. In particular, at least three different sections of Daniel, chapters 8, 9, and 12, for anybody keeping score. And there may be hints of the closing of Isaiah, chapter 65. Others might even say chapter 40, perhaps. But John's message continues. It's all coming true. It's all coming to pass. You must overcome. You must persevere. Give us some more, Brent. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, come, let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Now, I have toyed with this idea, Brent, uh, somewhat, but I uh, I haven't nailed it down. I'm not going to teach this with a whole bunch of confidence. I feel like Revelation is a gigantic chiasm. You, uh, you have all these images at the front, Alpha and Omega, that get repeated at the back. You have... Um, uh, let's see here, the morning star, which showed up in the letter to Thyatira. You have all these references we've been hearing, especially in the last few episodes that we heard at the very beginning of the letter. Um, when you look at it, you have a woman, uh, you have a woman on a beast, and then you have the woman on the dragon on either side. You have a lot of things that are paralleling each other. And I haven't found anything that just like jumps out and just slaps me across the face on this, but I feel like there's definitely some things there. I feel like there's something going on. So uh, go digging for anybody that's curious. I know I've done my share here and there, and uh, there's got to be some good stuff in there. Leave it to John. Pull everything perfectly from culture and from text, and it's all a chiasm. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> what a guy. What a guy. All right. So uh, so the, the, the hearers of this vision must hang in there. John gives them words from Jesus, a testimony for the churches. 
They must not give in to uncertainty or despair, for the reward of staying true to their convictions will not only be the opportunity to drink freely of the water of life, but to see the culmination of thousands of years of faithfulness on behalf of their ancestors. God's great redemption project is finding its true and complete fulfillment, but not if they give up. Go ahead, Brent. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. While many get worked up about these verses, which are important, no doubt, I'm not trying to take away from that. What is missed is the fact that these words are taken surprise from where, Brent? (laughs) From the text. From the text. Deuteronomy had very similar prohibitions. Even the wisdom of the Proverbs used similar words to talk about the record. So again, John calling back from things they already know well, not uttering some massive eternal curse. Uh, Anyway, enough. Go ahead and give uh, give us the last closing verses here, Brent. Let's finish this up well. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. And with that prayer of anticipation, John closes his apocalyptic vision. And we close our study of the scriptures, but we simply can't end the conversation here. For this conversation raises historical questions that nag us as 21st century readers. As the Bible ends, the persecuted people of God are standing strong against the empire of Rome. They're watching Rome crumble in the face of a subversive movement and a commitment to peace love, and compassion. Multiple times throughout the New Testament, we hear the writers exclaim or allude to the fact that they believe the world would see the return of Jesus within a generation or two. Were they wrong? How could we have gone through such trying times and watched the fall of the most powerful empire in the world and not see the end of the story? How did we get to where we are today? In short, what happened? So this may be the end of session four, Brent. But it is not the end of our study together because we need to have one more session. It's going to be short and it's not going to be like full of my expertise, but it's going to be super critical and important because if you have gotten to this point in the study and you've been paying attention and not just thinking abstractly, you're wondering how in the world did we get to where, like, how did we get to the mess we have today? Like, if that was the story, how did we get from there to, to here? And so we need to we need to go through that. So next week we're gonna post our capstone to session four. We're also going to post our intro to session five, which will be kind of that final session to our body of work, not our time together, because we'll keep posting after that. But as far as our body of work, we have one more session that we need to look at to give us one final little bit of perspective and help us on our way. That capstone episode is going to be one heck of a review. It's going to be a review. Buckle up. But we've had people on the Slack channel asking for a review. We've had people saying, I want a review. We've covered a lot of material since the last one. We, so. we, we have. And the last one was big. We, so, we, yeah. so this Hopefully could be. Hopefully we don't set any long records on length here. Well, you know. We'll do what needs to be done. Honestly, like if you have gone through the podcast and you're like, I need a quick refresher, just like grab the most recent uh, capstone episode of something and get a review of the whole thing and and whatever, 45 minutes, like crash course. Yep. Not a crash course necessarily, a uh, refresher course. Absolutely. Whatever. Yeah. All right. Well, 
Uh, thanks for joining us on the Baymall podcast today. We'll talk to you again soon. Mm-hmm.